and welcome, a, an official and a warm welcome to Daily Power Parsha. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari, and this is our daily look at the Torah portion. This week's Torah portion is Nitzavim. Today is Thursday, September 2nd, 2021. So we're going to be exploring the fifth reading because that is corresponding to the fifth day of the week, reading number five. Here we go. I'm sharing my screen and let's jump right in. Nitzavim. Fifth reading, Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse number 7. So in the conversation the last few days, Moses has been predicting or warning or prophesying, however you want to, whatever word you want to use, that's cool. But Moses has been speaking about the future. He says that very soon in the immediate future, in the near future, you're going to be going into, you people standing in front of me, are going to be entering the land of Israel. And it's going to be amazing there. But if you guys drop the ball, and by dropping the ball, what I mean is spiritually turning away from God, serving idols, introducing other practices into the community, etc., then what's going to happen is that soon you'll find yourselves exiled out of the land. In foreign countries, foreign lands that are not necessarily so hospitable to you. But then, and that was like the negative um, portent, the negative prophecy about the, uh, the onset of, of galut, of exile, etc. But then yesterday's reading, it flipped a little bit and it said, but in that space of exile in a foreign land under an oppressive regime, from there you will, stir, from there your your heart, your soul will stir and to, to wish to reconnect with God and you'll reach out to reconnect. And once you do that, everything turns back for the positive. And you will return to the land of Israel. God will return you there. Basically, this is the idea of Mashiach in gathering of the exiles. And Moses says, even if you're at the furthest, you know, the, 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 the furthest spaces in the heavens and the earth, whatever, across the, 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 the expanse of the earth, you will come back and no one will be left behind. So that was the beautiful like end. I don't know if it's the end, but it's the, the, the culmination of this prophecy is, yes, it may be bad, but it's ultimately going to be good. And that has kept us, um, that has kept us uh, um, hopeful throughout these 2,000 years of our current exile. Let's jump into chapter 30, verse number 7, today's reading. And the Lord your God, following the return, your return, back into a good, good place, back in a good place with God and back to, to Israel, the Lord your God will place all these curses upon your enemies and upon your adversaries who pursued you. Look at that. Basically, Moses said, when you turn away from God, then God's going to place the negative curses on you and banish you from the land and exile you in hostile countries and nations, etc. But when you come back, what's going to happen is God is going to place the very self-same curses on, on your enemies and your adversaries, the ones who pursued you. In other words, the ones who, who, who persecuted the Jews, the ones who harassed and, and, and expelled and murdered and pogromed, I'm using it as a verb, the Jewish people, those will have their day of judgment. Their, their reckoning will come. Okay, so that's, that's how we open up today's, today's reading. 
Let's continue verse number eight. And you, what about you? So that's for the nations that, that, that persecuted you. What about you? And you will return and listen to the voice of the Lord and fulfill all his commandments, which I command you this day. So, right, as you come back, as you re reconnect, as you re-embrace your Jewish identity and Jewish mission, that's going to be that's going to be going on simultaneous to the um, to the negative uh, consequences that will befall those who sought us harm. Let's continue. We're going to pull up Rashi in a moment, but let's just get the get get today's narrative down. And the Lord your God will make you abundant for good in all the work of your hands. In other words, everything that you do will be blessed with abundance. And this is in the fruit of your womb, in the fruit of your livestock, in the fruit of your soil. For the Lord will once again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your forefathers. That's a beautiful line. God Almighty will rejoice over you like he rejoiced over your forefathers. So just like we know, we read the Torah, there's like a love fest that God loves Abraham loves Isaac, loves Jacob, all these promises of, of, of destiny and, and progeny and, and, and a, a homeland, just the most incredible blessings. God promises Abraham everything. God promises it all to Isaac. God gives Jacob incredible blessings. If you recall, before Jacob heads out or as he's heading out away from his family when his brother wants to kill him for taking the blessings, right? So, he lies down to sleep. Remember the story? He goes to sleep and he places uh, stones around his head and he has a dream. And in the dream, remember the dream? Ladder, ladder going up to heaven and angels going up and going down. And in the middle of that dream, God appears to him and God says, I'm with We're you. We're losing you. Oh, hold on. My connection is unstable. Can you guys hear me now? Am I back? Can you guys hear me? Right. Yes? Now, yes. Now, yes? You can hear me? Thumb, thumbs up if it's clear. Yeah. Beautiful. Yes. Okay, great. What was the last thing you heard before the connection dropped out? Uh, he lays his head down. Okay, good. Perfect. Perfect. I, I, it wasn't a pop quiz, although, no. All right, so he lies down, and, um, and God appears to him in the dream. And God says, I'm with you, I'll guard you, I'll protect you, I'm going to bring you back to the land, I'll be, you'll be successful. God gives him all these incredible blessings. So God loved, God took joy, he rejoiced over our ancestors, the patriarchs, the matriarchs, etc. And Moses tells the people that when you come back after having been distant, God will once again rejoice over you for good as he rejoiced over your forefathers. What, what's, what's incredibly important about that verse and this idea, again, we're referencing verse number nine in this reading. What's incredibly important and powerful about this, in my opinion, is the notion of the extent to which teshuva is, is effective. And let me explain. I feel like um, we may have talked about this in a, in a previous class recently. But it may have been a different class, not this group. So, so, so hear me out for a second. You know, what happens is in a relationship, when, you know, a relationship is going well, it's going well, everyone's in a good place, wonderful. 
But the problem is when the relationship is not going well or something happens to kind of, you know, um, disrupt the, the love in the relationship or the open flow of love in the relationship. So now there's a bit of a, you know, like a frosty type of relationship. It's a little bit icy. It's a little bit, you know, uh, n- not in the healthiest place. And so then what's required is healing. But there are multiple levels in which healing can happen. So on a basic level, healing means I'm no longer upset at you. Okay, I'm no longer upset at you. Um, I forgive you. So we're healed. However, the relationship might not be as strong as it was before. In other words, you know the phrase, I can, you know, forg- I, I, I can forgive, but I can't forget? You know that phrase? Yeah. So I can forgive you, like I wish you no harm, and I understand, whatever, but you still can't fix the way that I feel in my heart about you. Like I still am not, I don't feel the same about you as I felt before. It's different. Before this thing, whatever it is, before this thing happened, there was an open love. It was like on a, on a certain level. Now that this happened, I can try my best. I can forgive you on some level, you know, but, but it, it left a scar. And as long as that scar is there, I can't, I'm not fully open, fully rejoicing as I was with you as, as I was before. That's one level. This is the level of tshuva, of, of return and forgiveness, where it's not exactly where it was before. There's a seam. There's a seam in the relationship. There's a line that is still in between the two parties. A scar. But then you have a deeper form of reconciliation. And that is where the relationship is as it was before, if not stronger. The love is there as it was before, if not stronger. And it's healthy and healthier than it's, than it's ever been. That requires, obviously, a lot more work. That requires really, really requires work on both sides. The, per, the party that did the, did the offense and the one that was offended both have to really want this in order for it to happen. So, like, if the motivation is only on the side of the one who, who did the offense, right, they feel really bad about it, but the one who was offended is like, all right, I'll forgive you, but I don't know. I, I still, I'm still like, still, still not so happy. So as long as that person has that barrier up, it's not going to be the way it was before. So there has to be a desire on that side. There also has to be a desire on the side of the one who offended. So both parties really have to acknowledge this and really have to be on the same page to really want that relationship to be perfectly healed. And ideally better than before. Because, especially when you look at this through a mystical perspective, right? What was the purpose of the tension in the first place? If, if the tension doesn't lead to a greater connection, then that was a waste of a crisis, right? You wasted the crisis. So there was a crisis in the relationship. There was a, a breach in the relationship. And what was the outcome? You only got back to where it was before. So why did you spend all that time going through the crisis? You're going to say, oh, well, what do you mean why did I spend the time? Somebody made a mistake and then they're working to fix it. I know that. But if you, take, if you zoom out and you look on a cosmic level about dips and, 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 uh, and climbs, right, down shoots and ladders, essentially, when you look at the downs and the ups, so from a Jewish perspective, from the perspective of Judaism, certainly Kabbalah and Hasidic philosophy, Chabad philosophy, 
every downturn is always intended, even if you and I don't intend this because our, our perspective is limited. From on high, if we zoom out, God intends all of these dips and drops to lead to something more magnificent than before. Otherwise, it was a wasted opportunity. Or, 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 or a waste. It, it just was negative and it stays negative. That's a waste. So our job, number one, is to, to try to not mess up. Number two, when we mess up, because we're human, our job is to leverage the mistake for a greater benefit. In other words, to grow exponentially from the mistake, to deepen the relationship because of the, 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 the offense, to get to a better place, a deeper place in the relationship than it was before. Then, on a cosmic level, the mistake is justified. Then we can say, all right, so it turned out for a good, for, for a good purpose. But again, just to, just to explain, in our, and we can relate to this on, on a human level. On a human level, we've all been there in, in, situ, in relationships, right? Where some, somebody did something wrong and you got upset or you did something wrong and they got upset. One party did the wrong, the other party got upset. The, the party that did the wrong is trying to like get it back, you know, patch it up. The party that was wrong says, all right, okay, fine, I forgive you. But it's just not there. It's just not the same. The, the love that doesn't flow the way it did before. The friendship, the, 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 the hearts are just not as open as they were before. The goal is to get to a place where it's as it was before, if not even more. And that's the power, in my opinion, of what Moshe Rabbeinu, what Moses is telling the people on the day of his passing. The last day of his life. What's he telling them? He's telling them, I have my crystal ball and I'm telling you what's going to happen. You're going to go to Israel. It's going to be good. Then you're going to get distracted. You're going to get distracted and it's going to culminate in eviction, in exile, in pain, in suffering. But then from the place of pain itself, the squeezing itself will motivate you to return You'll return and God will bring you back. But here's the kicker. This we haven't said before until this verse. The kicker is that God will not just take you back begrudgingly. God says, all right, I forgive you. You can come back now to the land. Everybody back. Everybody welcome. Come back to the land of Israel. That's not the way it's going to be. Moses says, through our effort, through our avodah, our service, our teshuva, our return, God will rejoice with us like he rejoiced with our forefathers. In other words, the love is going to be there like before. And I'm adding, I can't put words in Moses' mouth, in the Torah's mouth, but what I can add is, ideally, even stronger than before. That's the goal of, a, of, uh, of, of friction, is to get to a better place than it was before in the relationship. All right, let's continue. Well, hold on, before we continue, any questions or comments on this idea? I don't know if there's any uh, connection with the relationship with God, but in our lives, sometimes the one that, for the most part, maybe has been wronged, and they want to forgive and go to the, but it's the, 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 the other side that really created the rift that really is no interest yeah. in reconciling. Correct, correct. That's, that's an unfortunate, uh, when, when that's the case, that's very unfortunate. 
Because not only did that person do the wrong, but now they're not even putting in the effort to, to make it right. Yeah. That, that compounds the pain. That compounds the hurt. Yeah, I, there, I mean, there's no, there's no, there's no easy, um, there's nothing easy to say or to do in that situation. You, you just hope that the person at some point comes around and, and you know, and, and then you see from there what happens. But it's, it's very difficult. It's very difficult when, when, when human um, limitations kick in. And what I mean by that is the limitation of that led to the offense in the first place and then the limitation of pride that gets involved and says, I'm not going to apologize or I don't want to be the one to, I'm not going to have the tail between my legs or whatever. Like that, that whole thing is compounds, compounds the original hurt. Um, and, and I think in our own lives, it's a, it's, it's a good, it's a good thing to think about, especially before Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, which is the day of atonement. It's all about forgiveness and atonement. It's an appropriate time to think about in our lives. Okay, if we're on the receiving end of that, again, I mean, okay, so there's only so much we can do if the other party doesn't, you know, doesn't want that connection. But on our end, you know, let's think about on our end, who is it perhaps that we can, you know, deepen the relationship with? Um, things that we may have done where we've fallen short. And what would it take from us to not only heal the relationship, to the point where there's a scar, because healing scar is still a healing, but there's a scar. But beyond that, to get it to a place where it's as strong, if not stronger, than it was before. And that's, all of us have, I'm sure, relationships that we can, we can work on here, especially, you know, let, let alone our spiritual relationship with God. Um, by the way, I want to mention this and, on the topic of forgiveness, atonement, reconciliation, love, etc., it's a very important thing to remember about the high holiday season. So, of course, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, we kind of lump them together as high holidays, but they have different energies. There are different themes. So Rosh Hashanah, the theme is primarily about, at least from a mystical place, it's about um, embracing God in our lives. It's in the language of Kabbalah, it's coronating God as king, which means in our language... It means raising our hands and saying, I'm opting in. I, 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 I'm in. I'm in this year. What God wants, I'm going to do to the best of my ability, but I'm, I'm opting in. I want, I, I want God in my life. I, want, I, I, I embrace God, and that's, that's what I want for this year. So that's Rosh Hashanah. Yom Kippur is where we work on some of the details, which is why this answers a question that many, that many have. Many have the question, why is it that Yom Kippur is after Rosh Hashanah? It would seem like the first thing you need to do is wipe the, clean, the slate clean, right? Yom Kippur is Day of Atonement. First, you got to get rid of the negative. And then you can step into the new year. You would think, first have Yom Kippur, right? The Etch-A-Sketch, right? First, you, you, you get rid of whatever was there. And then you begin a new year. You begin a new drawing. Why is it you have Rosh Hashanah? You start a new year. And Mittamah, 10, 10 days later, you have a day of atonement. It seems a little, a little out of order. Are you with me on the question? Yes? Okay. So the way it's answered, there are different answers, but one way that it's answered in Chabad philosophy is, is what, I'm, what I'm trying to say right now. And that is that 
Rosh Hashanah is when you establish the relationship. Rosh Hashanah is when you and I say, when you and I opt in. If we don't opt in, then there's no conversation after that. Then, then, then we're out. So step one is opting in. After you've opted in, then we can look at the details. So now, okay, you're in. All right, so now let's look at what that looks like. It's kind of like, um, I don't know, you're working with someone, you have a contract, whatever it is. Step one, are you interested? Yeah, are you interested? Once you're interested, now you'll get, you know, uh, we'll talk about the details. Rosh Hashanah is, are you in or out? Right, because God says, I want to be in, but you have to let me know, right? It's like, okay, it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to go forward in this relationship, but I want to know where you're holding. So in Rosh Hashanah, we say yes. And according to Kabbalah and Hasidus, that's the reason for the shofar. The shofar is sounded. It's like the trumpet blast at a carnation. So it's, it's, it's when we turn to God and say yes. So God gets, this is of course, um, uh, metaphorical and um, what's the word I'm looking for? It is anthropomorphic. So it's not literal. God gets down on one knee and he holds the box with the ring and says, will you spend this next year with me? And on Rosh Hashanah, we answer, hopefully, yes. Now, now we're a thing. Now we're an item. Now, once we're an item, we can think about all the stuff, all the details, and, and, and what we need to do and fix. Good. But first, we have to opt in. So that's Rosh Hashanah. And then we have Yom Kippur, which is Day of Atonement. I want to mention something about Yom Kippur that's related to our conversation today that the Mishnah and the Talmud discuss. The Mishnah and the Talmud, and, and if you've taken classes with me before, we've mentioned this on occasion, but it's very important to, to always remind ourselves this time of year that divine forgiveness, divine atonement only applies to the stuff between us and God, not between us and our fellow human being. It does not, God does not forgive us for offending Yankel, Shmerel, Beryl, or whoever it is, right? If, if, if somebody offends another human being, hurts them physically, God forbid, verbally, God forbid, financially, God forbid, in whatever way, that has to be taken care of on the ground. You can't turn to God and say, God, will you forgive me? Meanwhile, that guy is still hurting. <laughs> but God will forgive me, so I don't need to deal with this guy. That's not how it works in Judaism. Maybe in other religions it might work like that, but not in Judaism. Famously, Simon Wiesenthal. You know Simon Wiesenthal? The Wiesenthal Center, the Nazi hunter? So he, he was a survivor of the camps. Simon Wiesenthal tells the story. He was in the camps. And he gets a guard, a, a Nazi guard, an SS guard, pulls him into, into, uh, in, into something. And the guard says, I need to take you with me. And he doesn't know what's going on. And he eventually finds himself at the bedside of a higher-ranking Nazi officer who was dying. And the man was dying. He knew he didn't have much time left, this Nazi. And he turns to Simon Wiesenthal and he says, I'm dying and I regret the atrocities that, I, that I've done on your people. I ask for your forgiveness before I die. True story. 
So Simon Wiesenthal was asked to forgive by this Nazi to forgive him. What did he do? What do you think he did? What do you guys think uh, Simon Wiesenthal did? I think he forgave him for himself, but not for everybody else. Simon Wiesenthal walked out of the room. He, could, he didn't know what to say. How is he free to walk out of the room? I forget the details, but he, he did not answer him. He, he just, he walked out. But Simon Wiesenthal then wrote a book. And the book is called The Sunflower. And you can find it on wherever good books are sold. The Sunflower. And in The Sunflower, this book by Simon Wiesenthal, he asks 53 leading scholars, philosophers, religious leaders, what would you have done? What would you have done? You're asked by a Nazi. You can, I mean, everyone's online here, right? Everyone's on a computer, so you can, you can literally look it up. But I'll, I'll do the work for you. I'm going to read to you what's on the, the front cover. You are a prisoner in a concentration camp. A dying Nazi soldier asks for your forgiveness. What would you do? And that's the question that he posed to 53 individuals, and each one writes. And here's the deal. You can read the book. Invariably, without exception, Christian leaders write that what, one, what, that what should have been done or what should be done is you forgive. Deborah Lipstadt, you know Deborah Lipstadt? From Emory, she's the Holocaust, uh, head of the Holocaust studies. The president just appointed her on, on a commission also regarding the Holocaust, the anti-Semitism, or anti-Semitism specifically. Anyway, Deborah Lipstadt writes one of the responses in that book. And she says, from a Jewish perspective, absolutely not. How can Simon Wiesenthal forgive on behalf of anyone else? And I think, Joy, this is what you were saying. right? For himself, maybe. If he wants to or not, that's another question. But the, the question is, can you, on behalf of the Jewish people, the answer is no, on behalf of the Jewish people. How can I forgive you on behalf of the Jewish people? Right? You have to go to the ones that you've harmed and ask for forgiveness. Now, now you're going to ask a question. But what if they're gone? And they were gone, right? I mean, what, what about the, I don't know how many, this, how many lives, this, how, how much blood this, this, this Nazi had in his hands. But whatever it is, how, how do you now ask for forgiveness? You have to go to the grave sites. But he's dying. Then it is what it is. But Simon Wiesenthal, right, cannot unilaterally forgive on behalf of someone else. That's not how forgiveness works. Forgiveness works, right, by the two individuals or more, whatever, the, the parties involved finding a space of reconciliation if possible. And if not, not. But trying to find the space to, to, to get in a better place than, 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 the, than, than a moment ago. That's what Shuva is. So here's my point. As we talk about relationships, as, Mo, as Moses, the great Moses, talks about the Jewish relationship with God being healed, with the coming of Mashiach, and God rejoicing in us like he rejoiced in our forefathers, which allows us to think about human relationships and, and the work that we should do in healing our relationships, it's important for me, I feel it's important for me to mention that as we get ready for days of atonement, for the Day of Atonement and the High Holidays, let's recognize 
the need not just to turn to God in prayer, but to turn to our fellow human being, those that we've hurt. And to really own up to what we've done, if we've done something, and, and to really um, to have a schmooze with, with people. Look, as careful as we are, we can't go through life without inadvertently, at the very least, harming someone else. It's not possible. It's just not possible. Right? You try your best, but it's not, it's, we're human beings, so we're not perfect. And invariably, someone else is get, gets hurt in the process. What, what, what differentiates, you know, um, what, what makes us a mensch is when we pay attention to that, when we notice it and we do the work to create that reconciliation on our end. We can't guarantee what the other reaction is, but on our end to own up to what we've done and to make amends. And that's, that's, the th- that's a theme, a strong theme for this time of year. So again, as we think about our prayers and synagogue and services, let's not forget about the work on the ground that needs to be done between our fellow human beings, between you and I, and I mean you and I like human beings. Back inside. Is that why there's a the time frame between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur? Is that? It's one of the reasons. Yeah, gives us a few days to, to kind of think about things um, and to you know make amends. Making amends is a big deal. It's not easy. It's not. Who wants to admit fault? No one wants to admit fault, right? Right. You mentioned that before, Donna. Right? No. No one wants to admit fault. Everyone's like, oh, "It's not my fault." The book that we're studying Sunday mornings, Overcoming Folly, is a lot of that is, um, is about that. Uh, it's just, there's a strong human aversion to admitting wrong. We're, we're averse to saying, I'm wrong. I messed up. We'd rather say, it's not so bad, or it's their fault, right? Either minimize the issue or shift, you know, shift the blame around where it doesn't fall squarely on me takes a maturity to say, I did it, I own it, and I need to make amends for it. There's a difference when you study Tanakh, when you study the books of, um, after the five books of Moses, the book of Samuel, etc., talks about um, uh, show, the book of Shof, sorry, the book of Judges and Samuel. So it talks about you know, Jewish leadership, various Jewish leaders in the period between Moses and Joshua and the, the building of the temple, etc., the kings. The first Jewish king was a man named Saul, Shaul HaMelech, King, king Saul. And then the second Jewish king was King David. And King Saul never, his legacy, his dynasty didn't continue. He didn't have a dynasty. It was just one and done. A one-hit uh, king wonder. That was it. Just him and, and done. King David, a dynasty, a monarchy, you know, his son Solomon, and then his, okay. What happened with Saul? Famously, the, uh, the, 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 the scripture tells us, he was told to fight a war. One of many wars he fought, then one of them was against Amalek. He was told to destroy Amalek. And he kept around some animals and the king. He kept, he kept some alive, uh, some, some people. In th- he kept alive what he shouldn't have kept alive. And he didn't listen to, to, to orders. So the prophet at the time, Samuel, Shmuel Hanavi, Samuel the prophet, comes to King Saul to the battlefield and he says, uh, how's it going? Good. Did you do what you needed to do? Yes. Okay. 
So why do I hear animals? Like, what, what, am, I, what am I hearing? Like, explain to me why I'm seeing things. He says, well, you know, it's... Uh, the people told me to, 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 to leave some animals. People told you to leave animals. He says, so you did it or not? Like, there's a whole back and forth. And ultimately, uh, King Saul says, no, I left the animals to bring sacrifices to God. How amazing is it if we use an animal from Amalek to serve God as, as a sacrifice to God? And, King, and, and the prophet tells him, does God want your sacrifices? Or does God want you to follow orders? Right? Don't be so clever. Don't outsmart the system here. Don't be like, I know what God told me to do something, but I know what God really wants. That's when we get into trouble, right? In relationships also. Right? You think you know better than the one. It's like, I, yeah, my wife asked me for this for her birthday, but I know she really wants a set of golf clubs. So, I'm, I mean, that's like, okay, bad move. Bad move. Go with what that other person actually wants. Be attentive to the relationship. So God says, this is what I want. And King Saul says, but I think this is what you want. And the prophet says to him, bro, you missed the point. You're, you're, you're now, this is about you. It's not about God. And, and that's it. And in no point in that dialogue does King Saul actually accept responsibility. It's not his fault. He did everything right. The people were pressuring him. He had a good idea of sacrifices. He never says, I messed up. What do I do? He never just owns it. It's always deflecting either someone else's fault or it's not so bad. One of those two options. What happens with King David? Fast forward. King David is the next king. You know, King David had his own drama with Bathsheba, right? With the, the woman, the married woman that he saw bathing. And, and he was with her and the husband he sent to the front, whatever it is. A complicated story. Not that complicated, but a bit of a questionable story with King David. The prophet comes to David. The prophet comes to David and the prophet says to him, gives him a parable of a guy who owned the lamb and the king, or somebody comes and takes it, at whatever. Basically, preying on someone, someone had one animal, someone has whatever they want, right? And the other guy has one animal, and the guy goes, the wealthy guy goes and takes the one animal from the guy. It's not fair. So here you have whatever you want, you're the king, and you had to go after this, this, guy's, this guy's wife. And, and King David, and, and after the parable, so he asked the prophet, tells David this whole story, and he says, what do you think should be the verdict? And David says, we have to come down hard on that guy. And then the prophet says, you know who that guy is? It's you. He says, it's you. He told him a whole story, and not the, not the same story, but a, like a parable. King David got angry at the, at the guy. He says, I can't believe he did that. And the prophet says, that's you. Here's a mirror. That's you. And you know what the, the next words out of David's mouth are? The first, the first response? Chatasi Lashem. I have sinned before God. No excuses. No posturing. No blaming. No minimizing. Nothing. Garnish. Nothing. Chatasi Lashem. I have sinned before God. I messed up. And the rest of his life, he lived with Tshuva, every single day of his life, he was fasting, he was praying, composing psalms in his book of psalms. Read through psalms. You see his anguish, his self-reflection, 
his inner spiritual work. The reason why King David is so lauded in Jewish life and lore and history, the reason why King David is such a rock star, and you're like, King David, you know what he did? Do you know what he did after? That's what makes him King David. Yeah, what he did, sure, but it's what he did after is why he's King David. Not justifying the actions, but the question is, we're all going to mess up. Whether that level, this level, you know, bigger stakes, bigger, bigger mistakes. When the stakes are higher, the mistakes are higher. The question is not, did we mess up? Everyone messes up. The question is, what did we do next? Did we cover up? Did we brush under the rug? Did we blame someone else? Or did we own it? And so what we're talking here today is about owning it. And it's going to take a long time, Moses says. It's going to take time. It's taken 2,000 years. Do we still own it? I don't know. Hopefully we're getting there. Exile is going to be a process. But at some point we're going to wake up and say, you know what? We need to change something about ourselves. We need to really be in this. And then everything comes back. And then we have that favor with God, etc. And I, we're already there. Don't worry. It's just unfolding, right? Things were close to this, uh, to this time. So no, no need to get despondent. But the point is, acknowledging, owning, making amends, these are key things in our human relationships, spiritual relationships, personally, globally, universally, historically. These are all, these are all very important themes. Okay, now that we've discussed these big ideas, back to our reading. What do you guys say? Yes, back to the verses. Final verse of the reading. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Um, verse 10. When you obey the Lord your God to observe His commandments and His statutes written in this Torah scroll, and when you return... Oh, sorry, this is... A continuation of the sense. Let me start with the end of verse nine. The Lord, for the Lord will once again rejoice over you for good, as He rejoiced over your, your over your forefathers. When will God rejoice over us? When you obey the Lord your God to observe His commandments and His statutes written in this Torah scroll, and when you return to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, return tashuv. Look at that, tashuv. That's like the closest you're going to get to teshuva right there, tashuv is return, teshuvah is the act of returning, which is one extra letter of the letter He. So what I'm trying to say is this reading, these readings, the last three days, are very much, foc very much focused and, and, and directed at the time period that we are in right now, get ready for the, getting ready for the high holidays, which is all about getting back in a good place with God. All right, questions, comments? Reflections. Did somebody just say food? It's possible. Yes, Lisa. Hey, how's it going? It sounds like Lisa has got the food, which is good. The food is always good. <laughs> um, holidays are. Sorry? Festive meal. Festive meal. Festive meal, yes. The holidays are approaching. Definitely a big, a big, a big ticket item is obviously the food, the food questions. Don't forget, I, I will mention, speaking of food, everything is about divine providence. Okay, wait, wait hold on. Let's, let's close that out and then I'll talk about food for a second. So today we learned a few things. Number one, in the narrative, in this historical narrative, in this narrative and historical arc. So what happens is we're in Israel, everything's good, everything's good. We turn away 
God forbid, then things get not good, banished, exiled, persecuted, etc., oppressed. Then we come back, and then we're brought back, and then God places the negative consequences on the nations that persecuted us. And then part of this package is that we're back in good graces with God as we were before with that rejoicing the way it was with our forefathers. And that becomes a template for our human relationships as well. It's good. It might get a little tense. The goal is to get it back as it was before and as I added, if not stronger. Okay, now about the food. Um, so Rosh Hashanah is approaching Monday night, Tuesday, Tuesday night into Wednesday. We have services here, Chabad in town. They're indoor services, traditional services, outdoor learner service, safely spaced, outdoors. If that's your jam, whatever. If that's, if that's your preference, we got it. I lead those services. Um, so think, you know, interactive stories, insights, prayer, song, and of course, bad jokes. That is the nature of the learner service for 90 minutes. It also comes together with a chauffeur blast. You can precede that by coming into the, by joining the main service before and the main service after. After the main service concludes, there will be a Kiddush luncheon. So speaking about food, there will be a Kiddush which is a, the luncheon will take place. There's an indoor and outdoor option for the luncheon, um, kind of you know, flowing both, both directions, and that will be taking place. I don't, I don't know the exact time. Um, maybe it's on the website, whatever. Sometime in the, in the early afternoon. Day one of Rosh Hashanah. You know what? Let me just make this easier for me and for you. I'm going to run through the schedule very quickly because it's important if you're, uh, if you're trying to figure out the best way to, um, to join us. Give me a second here. Okay, here we go. So, high holidays. Um, yeah, I don't have the exact time with the, uh, the Kiddush. I would figure something like 1230-ish. Somewhere between, I don't know, 1230, 1245 ideally, I think we're gonna aim for the Kiddush both days of Rosh Hashanah. Now, day number one, there is Tashlich. Tashlich is the traditional um, casting, uh, you know, like symbolically casting away our sins at a body of water. We do it. We take a walk over on the, we go on the Beltline and then walk over to Piedmont Park. Beautiful area by the gazebo. There's ducks and fish. You do it in a fresh body of water with fresh fish or other, you know, lake pond, river, you know, uh, life. And we do it there 5 p.m. day one of Rosh Hashanah, which is Tuesday. So Tuesday at 5 p.m. at the gazebo at Piedmont Park. Next item is chauffeur blowing on the belt line. If one is not able to make the service in the morning, there's another chance to hear the chauffeur being sounded. 6.30 p.m. on the belt line outside of behind Chabad in town. So in that area of the belt line, we will be sounding the chauffeur so that everybody gets can have an opportunity to get the mitzvah in. And the same thing is pretty much on the next day where we have the traditional service indoors, the interactive learner service outdoors at 10 a.m., uh, followed by a kiddush. No tashlich day two. Tashlich is only day one. The, in other words, the Piedmont Park thing is only day one. And 7 p.m. will be chauffeur blowing on the belt line day number two. That is Wednesday. Rosh Hashanah is a two-day holiday. 
It's a two-day holiday everywhere. It's Yom Ha'aruchta. It's like one day stretched out into 48 hours. In other words, it's not like day two is less, less important than day one. They're both important. So join us for whatever you can regarding the services, indoors, outdoors, early, late, you know, the full service, the shofar blowing, the Tashlech situation. Oh, there will also be a shofar blowing by, by Tashlech at Piedmont Park. So we'll do the Tashlech. You know, some people bring bread and feed the, feed the ducks. And then we'll also have the shofar blowing there so you can get all your mitzvahs in. All right. That is, that is pretty much it. And don't forget, there's special foods. Apples and honey, a head of a fish, and, uh, you know, round challah. Some people do raisin challah. We dip our challah in honey instead of salt on the holiday, etc. So make sure you got all your stuff lined up. It's going to be a, uh, hopefully, 5782 will be only a blessings and none of the challenges, you know, hopefully we'll move past our challenges and get into a good place. And uh, that's the blessing. All right. Is that it? Questions, comments? No. Just to get back to one thing you just said before. Sure. So, so um, once we return from our exile, so our oppressors will get their retribution. But when Mashiach comes... It's for the whole world. Right. Except for the oppressors. Except for the oppressors. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I don't know. That's not to say that after. I have another question. Uh, by the way, I don't, I don't have, I, I, I don't profess to have all the answers. That's, I, I hope you know that about me by now. So I don't know what that means. I have, my own question was, who, uh, I don't even know how to say it. Like, how do you bring back the Inquisition? Like, who's. Who, who, who would want to reincarnate? Yes, yeah, right. Are they going to be reincarnated in there? Are you going to punish them just because that's the nation, that's the geography? Like, what does that even mean? I, I don't know that I can tell you details of what that means. But if I'm making it up anyway, right? So that if I'm making it up anyway, I would say that maybe after the consequences, the it's a cleansing, and maybe afterwards. That that's how I would imagine it. But again, I'm just going to go with what Maimonides writes. He says there's a lot of, lot of prophecies about the Messianic era that are very unclear and some that are contradictory. So we know certain things generally, but the details, we'll know when it happens. So if Maimonides can't give us details, who am I to give details, right? Again, I would literally just be making it up, but this is the way I understand it. But, you know, I'm sure someone else could understand it differently. Maybe somebody believes that, no, you know, the whole Rome, the you know, Roman Empire destroyed the temple. Maybe the whole Rome gets taken out. I don't know. That doesn't really sound like, you know, punishing the oppressors. Some, some dude born in Rome, you know, 20 years ago. What do they have to do with the Roman Empire, right? It also sounds like, like the table will be turned. Like we will be benevolent leadership. Well, we would, I, I would hope that. That's how I would like to think of it, sure. Because if we're just oppressing someone else, then that seems like totally missing the point, right? right. It seems like, you know, the abused becomes the abuser. It doesn't seem like, like the way it should be. So I, I, I'm, I agree with you. I don't know exactly what that retribution looks like and what, how that, what type of form. Maybe it's a spirit. Maybe it's on a soul level for those souls that, have, you know, that, 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 that were here that did negative things. I don't know. We'll find out. But I focus on the good stuff. You know, the good stuff is... Um, 
is is the reconciliation. To figure out how everything fits together because that gives more clarity. For sure, no, right, right. Even if we don't know the details, and the Rebbe spoke about this exactly what you said. The more we study, the more realistic it is. The more we're excited about it, and that's good all around. That's good all around. Ray, I see you have you had a question or a comment. I think you answered. Oh, okay. Look at that. Magic. All right. Uh, friends, tomorrow, same bad time, same bad channel. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Pleasure.